Hello there, I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier, Hello everyone, this is Karen Sander from Aging Fearlessly. I'm in the studio today with Melise Amat and she has an interest in helping women with alcohol issues. We've just come through a very unusual period in our lives, COVID, and I think a lot of people have realised that alcohol isn't always their friend. So I'd like to welcome Melise. Hi Karen. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for inviting me to talk about alcohol and how it affects women over 50. I hear more women these days talking about alcohol and how they're trying to cut back. So we're going to dive a little deeper in that today. But first of all, can you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what you do in life? Well, my professional background is in nursing. I'm a registered nurse and for the past 10 years I've been working in addiction nursing. So uh, at the moment I work in a clinic uh, that offers uh, treatment for alcohol use disorders and that includes home detoxing, a medicated home detox we offer and we also offer pharmacotherapies and treatment planning so that people can feel more empowered to meet their goals around alcohol use. I also work in a big public hospital. I'm really interested in alcohol and other drugs, and that also includes tobacco. We often forget about tobacco because the alcohol and other drugs are so can be so severe in the patients that I see because I'm at the pointy end of it. So recently uh, I've seen a lot of women in midlife, middle-age women, and... I've done some research on barriers that women experience to seeking treatment, the differences in genders with drinking, and I've developed a sober coaching business, a private business, as an adjunct to what I do in the public sector, which is a personalised one-on-one, quite intensive in the first couple of weeks, program where I will come to women and we will work out a plan for them so they feel more able and more supported to stop. I think stopping gives a whole lot of freedom or reduce their alcohol use. It's interesting that you say in the middle of their life around their 50s. Well, I know personally a lot of women who are talking about cutting back and who have cut back and talk about how alcohol is no longer their friend and how the effects of alcohol are much greater on them after 50 than alcohol was when they were younger. Are you seeing that too? Yes, I am. What we can put up with in our 20s and 30s becomes a bit tired in our 50s. Overall, Australians are reducing their use of alcohol. However, There are small groups that are doing the majority of drinking. People over 65 are more likely to drink every day. Mm. And women in midlife have now met parity with men in their drinking. 
usually mm. men are overrepresented in drinking and in treatment and in this one cohort we've caught up to men in this way so this really has implications for treatment so women have been found to seek treatment for most things other than alcohol use and there are gender differences between why men drink and why women drink and how easy it is for them to access services. And it's been found that men usually exhibit denial, but mm -hmm. women will exhibit shame. And that's certainly what I see. Every woman I speak to in my public sector work is embarrassed about being there. Mm. They're all embarrassed. You know, women cop a double whammy. They have judgment from society, which harks back to the old days of mother's ruin and gin and all of the judgment that comes with drinking women and mm. drinking mothers, and they internalise that as well. So there's great embarrassment for women. So I want to make something that's accessible and acceptable for women. And I think that's really important because I think one of the big things is recognising you need help but actually then asking for help. That's a very difficult thing to do. Firstly, to admit that to yourself, that you might need some help, that you can't do this on your own, and that can take a long time to realise. Also, negotiating the drug and alcohol world, negotiating the public and the private sector for treatment can be very confusing. Our terminology, the nomenclature around drug and alcohol treatment is very confusing for people. You will often finally, if you're lucky, get through uh, to a centralised intake line. You'll be asked questions and such as, do you want detox? Do you want counselling? Do you want rehab? Do you want pharmacotherapies? This is unknown to people. I know the language. We know the language in the drug and alcohol world because we work in it. But it's very confusing for people. And then there'll be a wait period. Mm -hmm. And often people have to go to their GP to get a referral. This is all really, really challenging for people who have a nanosecond of contemplation about changing behaviour. And yeah. if it gets too hard, people just won't do it. And the behaviour isn't an easy behaviour to change. The actual recognition that you might need help and then you think, no, I can do this alone... But the amount of times that you just give in while you're doing it alone is often really hard. Can you help us to understand why it's so hard to do it alone? All right. I think the first thing to remember, and it's important to point out, that not everyone I see is dependent on alcohol and not everyone who ends up in hospital or ends up in treatment is dependent. There's lots of levels of alcohol use, alcohol abuse, alcohol misuse, hazardous use, harmful use, dependent use. We've got a whole lot of grading around uh, alcohol use and I think it's probably easier for me to talk about unhealthy alcohol use mm -hmm. today and that's sort of a nice umbrella that encompasses all of those things. There are certain challenges once anyone is dependent on anything, any drug, any substance there needs to be probably some medical intervention to safely stop it. Mm. So getting that help can be difficult. The self-realisation that one needs help or that one is not happy with their drinking, even though it mightn't be dependent use, 
that can be a long, long road and it's paved with denial and, oh, it's okay, it'll be okay, it'll be better next time. And that can be a long, long process for the individual Mm. to become ready to change. Then working out where you go to get help can be challenging and often people's motivation to change wavers, certainly in the early days. So I have started this sober coaching business and uh, in my public sector work as well, we have a nurse-led clinic so that you can get in pretty quickly so that we can provide treatment when the person is contemplative. Yeah, and I think just having support to actually stop It is a really important thing because there's times you get into your own head, I'm sure. It's easy to convince yourself that I don't need to do this. And, you know, those little moments of lapses where, you know, you're out, you're having a good time with your friends and you think, well, one won't hurt. And then you get, you wake up the next day. And I know this from my own experience that I wake up the next day and go, well, why did I do that? And it, it wasn't helpful. Yeah, it it can be then that you get really gnarly on yourself and then your self-esteem goes down because you think, what's wrong with me that I just can't stop? Mm. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of challenges. There are. There are. There's also a lot of help out there, but people don't know where to look. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't have known where to look until I started doing this this work. So there is stuff that you can access every day that is free that will help motivation and meeting alcohol use goals. Yeah. It's just that we're not quite sure where to go. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. Welcome back to the studio. This is Karen Sandra and I'm with Melise Amit. She is a sober coach. So Melise, tell us is sober coaching a thing? <laughs> a thing. It's a thing in America, and it is a thing here in Australia. In America, and you may have uh, heard it referred to recovery coaches or sober companions, it, it is a big industry in America. But we have a few sober coaches here in Australia, and a sober coach is someone who's trained in addiction treatment and can be a guide to a person in early recovery Just as I would want a trainer for some kind of change that I'm trying to make, I'm trying to be a better tennis player and I'm driving myself nuts. I need a coach to help me. I like to uh, describe sober coaching as a personal trainer for recovery. Just as I need a tennis coach at the moment to help me improve my game, people can employ a sober coach who provides very individualised one-on-one discreet service and my business is quite short term but quite intensive I talk to the person every day it's just for women and I come to the woman's house or somewhere convenient so that they don't have to go to a drug and alcohol department they don't have to sit below a sign they don't have to wait for six weeks to finally see someone so it's it's a individualized program of accountability and motivation and so I will speak to the the woman every day uh, and that really helps with accountability because I find and I even find it with myself 
I can change behaviour, but wow, it's hard to sustain that. And Mm. having some kind of accountability, not someone who's going to wag their finger and go mad on them if they drink, but knowing that you're going to have some checks happening within the first two weeks. And I also remind women of what they said to me initially, because people feel much, much better as soon as they stop drinking. And I hear it a lot that, oh, well, I'm better now. No, I think I'll be okay. No, I don't need any help. No, I'm just going to have one or two drinks. And so having a sober coach who reminds you of what you said last week when things are really bad uh, can be really helpful. And it also helps with motivation. I provide a workbook which the woman answers some questions each day and that helps with goal setting. I always liken it to breaking up a destructive relationship. You know, it keeps you on track with what you're doing. I think talking to you, you know, we've talked personally, it's not just goal setting, it's also looking at what you're grateful for in your life today. And I think we seem to skip through every day without really drawing a breath to go, well, what am I grateful for today? What, what is it in my life that's really working for me? And having a bit of time to say thanks for that. And I think that's what you're really good at too, is pointing out that we have to be grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, behaviour change is difficult and the absence of pain is not enough of a motivator to have any sustainability in sobriety. You know, initially people are suffering and, yes, I'll stop, I'll do anything to stop, this is horrible, but that's not going to be sustainable. So developing a daily program to have a practice and to find things that you can fill your day with because you're going to have a lot of time not drinking, not being hungover, not planning the next drink and not trying to hide what you're doing. So a lot of the women I I speak to, Their motivating factors are improved relationships Mm. with their family, being present in their lives and having a go at their dreams. Many have been stuck in traditional gender roles and some of the reasons that have been found that middle-aged women drink is to relive the, the old glory days, you know. It was never better than 1984 type of thing. You know, relive the old glory days asserting an identity beyond their role in the home and to also uh, relieve negative affect. These are some of the, the reasons it's been found that women continue to drink. You said initially when we started um, this bit of the conversation was about discreet and I think discreet is really important. You've also mentioned shame women don't want to blurt out that well I think I've got a problem or I think I need help they're often used to going it alone and supporting everybody else and then to actually ask for support is really hard and hence discreet is a really important thing do you agree yes I do I agree overall look women are great as caretakers and they're not so great at taking care of themselves sometimes and there is a lot of personal shame and there is a lot of judgment of women who drink especially mothers who drink Um, I have heard it time and time again and I've never heard a drinking man's parenting ability being questioned never that's interesting because I've I've never noticed that but yeah you hear oh he's a big drinker or whatever and it's a problem. But yes, you're right. Mm. They don't sort of talk about parenting 
do they? Mm. So going back to being discreet, I think especially uh, I see a lot of women who this is their first treatment episode. They haven't had traditional drug and alcohol treatment before, but they have identified within themselves that this is a problem, this is creeping in and I'm drinking two bottles of wine a night and this is not normal. So this is quite normal in my job, in my public sector job. So discreet is important especially in the early days. You want to make it as accessible as possible for women. The United Nations and the World Health Organization have recommendations for gender-specific care, for women-focused care. They recognise that gender is a social determinant of health, Mm. that just being female puts you in a vulnerable position. Mm. So their recommendations is that women-focused drug and alcohol care needs to be accessible, affordable and acceptable. So it needs to be acceptable to the person. Mm. And I think having something that's discreet, where you don't have to walk into a big building with a receptionist who's going to talk too loud and um, want to make sure that you're seeing Dr. So-and-so, who's the addict. Anyway, that, that doesn't happen <laughs> all the time. So-and-so, the alcohol coach will see you now. <laughs> That doesn't really happen, but I have had a I'm woman joking. who said, I am sitting under this drug and alcohol sign, and she was. That's where the waiting room is. You sit under the sign that says yeah. drug and alcohol and service. Yeah, exactly. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Welcome back into the studio. I have Melise Amat, a sober coach, with me today. Melise, what about stigma? Stigmas attached to drinking. Mm. There's a whole lot of stigma and discrimination around people who use any substances. And the reason I got interested in women and alcohol use is that um, a couple of years ago in my workplace, I came across this old book that was written in the 70s by a couple of men about alcohol and women and some of their ideas were quite archaic and uh, they sort of allude to the hysteria that's synonymous with having a uterus and (laughs) put it that maybe women drink because they want to adopt male behaviours or they're stressed because of their menses despite the fact we've had them forever. So it got me thinking and I I thought there must be something that's a bit more contemporary and... uh, and um, reliable and there's a lot of literature out there about alcohol and women and society's um, expectation of women, uh, their traditional role, the traditional gender Mm. roles of men and women and the social criticism of women Uh, and that continues the stigmatisation and creates barriers for women to seek treatment which we've been talking about. Mm. What really sticks in my mind is is um, something that happened to a, a patient I saw a few years ago. She was in ICU and she wasn't hugely concerned that she couldn't remember how she got there um, and that she had to be intubated and then sedated. And uh, what really concerned her was overhearing the nurses talking about her ability Mm. to be a mother and how could she and she has so this kind of talk and this attitude it's prevalent it's prevalent in healthcare and I've been guilty of it as well um these these can be you know difficult um challenging people to work with 
But I remember this woman and she was so distraught by hearing stuff like that and she couldn't get out of the hospital quick enough. Mm. So I think it really represents, you know, why would women try and jump through the hoops? Sometimes they have to jump through to seek treatment when they put themselves at risk of being discriminated against in that way. I want to go back to an interview Mm. I did many, many years or two years ago now um, with Dr Michelle Franks and we talked about the five reasons the over 50s end up in the emergency ward and one of the five was Mm. alcohol, accidents that have happened due to drinking excessive alcohol. And, uh, yeah, so just pointing out, you know, it it can quite often end up in the hospital just um, when you're over 50 and you've been drinking too much. Yeah, yeah. It can, look, up to 30% of um, emergency department presentations are alcohol-related, uh, some recent stats that I saw. And every area of nursing is affected by alcohol and other drug use. Why am I drinking? Mm-hmm. It's a really good question to ask yourself. I think when the answer is hard to come by yeah, or the answer is that's just what I do at five o'clock every afternoon, then I think once someone starts asking themselves that question, maybe they're getting ready to have a change. Asking yourself, why am I drinking and how's it making me feel can be really confronting. I, I did this recently with my habitual use of um, ben and Jerry's ice cream every Saturday <laughs> afternoon. And it was like, what am I, why am I sitting on the left? You know, any kind of behaviour change, when you start to ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? Am I enjoying this? Because often people will say they enjoy the first one and it's always about chasing that first one. Alcohol, any other drug, I mean, they work. People, people use drugs because they work. And most people grow out of it. Most people grow out of their alcohol and other drug use. Uh, however, globally and in Australia, about 8 to 9% of the population will have some kind of compulsive disorder. Mm. And that can be alcohol, cigarettes, other drugs, gambling, food, uh, sex, Shopping, look, digital uh, use I've now. got nearly all of it. Oh, man, yeah. you're joking. <laughs> Shopping's a definite for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, but this stuff works. It fires off all of that dopamine and the reward centres are firing off and this is excellent. And, of course, why wouldn't you want to keep going? Yeah. Um, I want to talk about a trigger for me. For, mm. Are we allowed to talk about triggers? Sure. What's your trigger? When I'm happy. when I'm happiest is probably the time I most want to have a drink Mm. not when I'm sad in actual fact I went to a funeral a couple of weeks ago and my partner knows at the moment that I'm not drinking and he said to me I just want to remind you that you're not drinking and I said this isn't a time I'd go for a drink Mm. give me happiness any day and a glass of wine and I'm yep I'm away Yeah, that's really interesting and it flies in the face of what you hear in traditional drug and alcohol settings. Uh, Talks of triggers uh, just make me laugh. I think when you get to the point where you need help for your alcohol or other drug use, the trigger's waking up, the trigger's being conscious. Mm. Uh, So a trigger to me is a really um, sort of passive word. It's like this, you know, things outside of myself I'm at the mercy of, you know. 
um, rather than, you know, I will talk about maybe urges or being in risky situations. And um, look, in rehabs and in detoxes, you'll have a lot of people talking about, be careful about your triggers, really. Triggers are everywhere. Once Mm. you get to the point where your alcohol use or your other drug use is problematic, the triggers being alert, (laughs) far too alert. But, however, I understand what you're saying and um, and I agree with that. We talk about being happy, sad, glad or mad and uh, just checking in with that. And, and I find that people who are upset or anxious or worried, certainly people who are, are early into their behaviour change or early into their recovery, if that's what they're calling it, are more on guard when they're not feeling terrific. Mm-hmm. And that kind of happiness and that relief that can come after not drinking for a while and, oh, everything's going really well. That's a risky time, I think. I hear a lot of clinicians talk about, you know, be careful not to get too anxious or too upset. And I would be saying, be careful not to get too happy and complacent <laughs> oh, in the early days. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because a lot of people would not associate happiness mm. with drinking. There's so many benefits to not drinking. Mm. Yeah. Look, conversely, I I need to acknowledge there are benefits of drinking. Uh, We're talking about the pointy end. We're talking about women who's uh, mainly women uh, who are much more vulnerable to the negative effects of alcohol because of our body composition, the ratio of water. You know, alcohol is a water-soluble solution, our smaller livers, and also our biology. So after 50 and uh, as menopause approaches, there's risk factors that increase. So the risk factor for breast cancer is very high with alcohol use. Now, mm. this is quite, it's quite astounding to me. I always think about alcohol and liver, esophagus, bleeding, things like that. There was a great article in the ABC Health and Wellbeing on the ABC Health and Wellbeing platform yesterday and it was talking about alcohol-related cancers Mm. and that over the age of 50, having just one extra drink a day can increase your risk of esophageal cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer. There was another one in there as well. Oh, we'll figure that one Mm. out later. But Yeah. Yeah, so so the risks, it does increase risks. Yeah, so these are physical risks. Uh, Really, it's the emotional that I see mainly in women. It's the emotional, it's that feeling of um, not being content with life, that alcohol is, is sort of hanging over them in some way and that what they're doing is not right, that, mm. you know, this is creeping back in, I'm concerned about this, I'm keeping it a secret or there's other behaviours that are going on around that. So I just wanted to share a couple of things for mm. me that, you know, because I've had a couple of months now where I haven't mm. been drinking and... Well, number one, it took a little while, but my sleep patterns, you know, when I go to sleep now, I I do manage to have some really, really deep sleeps. And even if I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm not going, oh, what did I drink too much for? And, you know, I just lay there and think about some of the good things that are happening. And I might be trying to work on something in my sleep, but I'm not beating myself up, Mm. which is a huge relief, really. I also just find that my eating habits have changed, although I haven't lost weight. Not a freaking kilo, (laughs) even half a kilo. Uh, But just generally, you know, 
my enjoyment of the things I'm doing and I am more present in the moment and the amount of work that I can get done in a shorter period of time because my brain is functioning, well, it seems clearer. Um, My thoughts are different. Um, And they're just little things I've noticed. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to change that. I, I, I actually love those feelings. And I think sometimes I'm actually happier. But there's a trigger. <laughs> but no, I, I just wanted to share that because, you know, I know that in your sober coaching, you ask people to write down what they think the benefits are. Mm. And, um, you know, it does surprise you what some of the benefits are. Yeah, look, improved sleep, weight reduction and mood stabilisation are three of the main things that women report are benefits. They're motivating factors for not drinking and these things happen pretty quickly and you're right in my workbook in the sober coaching workbook that I ask women to do every day we need you need to list you know five things you're grateful for and then start listing what are your dreams what are your goals how are you going to feel this time where you're not drinking you're not hungover you're not planning the next drink you're not trying to hide it's important to have a think about you know what's available to you And before we go to the next song, I just want to say something else about we've stopped drinking, which is often a reward for a busy day at work or we've achieved something. What's the reward we're going to give ourselves now? Yeah, I hear this time and time again. What happens when the day is finished? It's four o'clock, it's five o'clock and that's wine time. And it's really difficult because alcohol works immediately it lets you exhale so it's about finding what you can do to exhale and that's it you exhale however you need to replace it with some rewards and these rewards won't be that quick fix that alcohol is and that can be challenging for people with alcohol use disorders they're not great at waiting for things however in my program and in any program really you'll start people will start to implement each day some kind of new behavior but also reward themselves for their good behavior so that could be for me it's vegan food you know i go and or, or i get it delivered that's the reward i don't even On have to Uber. <laughs> don't even have to go down the shop but it's about working out what your reward is and having them listed so it might be buying flour i like to buy flowers and i like to eat vegan food it could be a massage someone was talking about a pedicure recently it can be going to a movie it can be a new book but it's about identifying those things and writing them down i've also got a um page and I've done this with a couple of clients where you every hour you have to pat on yourself on the back and go good for me good for me (laughs) I I just think that you know some people might you say a massage and people say oh but that's $80 or $100 but you think well if you're not buying the bottle of wine several times a week it's easy to save $80 and that is a, a huge benefit if you look at stopping you're buying or drinking water or tonic water or something in replacement, a dollar eighty-five. I know the bottle mm. price of a tonic water um, is um, a lot cheaper than buying a fifteen-dollar bottle of wine. Mm. And um, you know, wine isn't the cheapest thing in the world to buy these days. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches eighty-eight point seven and ninety point three, your community radio station. This is Karen Sandra and I'm with Melise Amit in the studio today and we're talking about sober coaching. 
Melise, I have a question. Some people find it easier to give up versus cutting back. Can you talk about that for a moment? Every clinician's got their own um, preference. Mine is abstinence. However, in the drug and alcohol world, the um, Australian government policy is harm minimisation. So we always work with where the person's at. I personally think abstinence gives a whole lot of freedom, but a lot of people are not willing to consider that when they first come into treatment or when they've been in treatment. A lot of people do want to try and control the uncontrollable, really. A lot of people do want to try controlled drinking. And so letting people know what the safe levels of alcohol use is um, a really good way to start. That's 10 standard drinks a week. So it's not very much for someone who's drinking professionally. And... um, (laughs) So, you know, I, I, I've had patients who um, start with having an alcohol-free day. And so that's a great way to reduce the harms from alcohol use and it's a great way to change behaviour. Mm. Um, uh, there's evidence out of the US that um, women respond to abstinence focus much better so that once women get to the stage where they want to stop, they're much more motivated and abstinence gives a clear clear bottom line. However, Australian government policy to drug and alcohol um, issues is harm minimisation. So whatever we can do to reduce the harms, we do that. Dangers in giving up. Are there any dangers? Uh, There's dangers for people who are physically dependent on alcohol. Uh, Alcohol changes the GABA receptors in the brain and they're the down-regulatory receptors that become adapted after a long period of time of alcohol exposure because alcohol's a depressant. Mm. So when if you're a dependent drinker, so there's criteria for dependence, which is tolerance, withdrawal and saliency and a couple of other things. So if someone is a dependent drinker, they've had a, this neuroadaptation in their brain and they suddenly stop drinking, they're going to need some medication for about five days to be able to do that safely. Mm. And the medication we use is Valium because it works on those same receptors in the brain. So that's for physically dependent people. And surfing the urge. (laughs) I know you love to go surfing in the ocean, but those urges that someone has for a drink. This afternoon I had it for a protein ball. But no, those urges that people have with drinking, how do they get through those? Look, I think urges is a, is a good word. You were talking about triggers before and I laughed at that. Uh, however, um, surfing the urge is a strategy that's used a lot in drug and alcohol. People's urges to drink usually go away after 20 minutes. Mm. However, just the nature of being a substance user means that um, impulse control isn't a strong suit. Um So if someone can learn to surf the urge as a wave rises, you know, the urge will rise and it will peak, but it will go away. It's like a wave. And there's there's some nice graphics, you know, if you can just Google, there's some nice graphics about surfing the urge. And it's a really simple strategy to deal with what some people would call triggers or cravings. And and it normalises what not drinking in the early days is like Mm. you know it this is to be expected if giving up drinking was that easy there'd be a lot more people doing it so if any woman is thinking about um cutting down on drinking 
what are three things you would say? Now's a good time and it's easier to do with someone and there's lots of us sober girls around. Well, if someone is considering giving up, how do they find you? As a sober coach, they can find me through my website, which is sobercoaching.com.au. We also have a public health service and um, I I work in that as well. And so uh, that's um, available to anyone, anyone who's got problematic use of alcohol or any other drug and they want some treatment, whether it's counselling, whether it's detox, whether it's just some information, they can call the local health district intake number and that's that's available you can google that i think what i'd like to say here is that you're never alone in this world and we all as humans we all have things in our lives that come up and we don't have to stand alone go and ask someone for help i think asking for help is incredibly important um you don't have to do anything alone and that's my message today i mean I'm a big believer in speaking to people if you think you need help with something. So that's it for Aging Fearlessly today. Thank you, Melise, for coming in and sharing this hour with me. It's been great to have you in the studio. Thank you, Karen. You're more than welcome. And I'll look forward to learning more from you at another time. Okay. Thank you. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright There's a sparkle in your eye It's not all nine to five It's a wonderful life Let's go and climb mountains high Swim across oceans wide This treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything else Let your heart be alive Baby, just let your heart come alive Honey, let your heart be alive